we as we as Christians believe then that we don't have to educate our children in fear, whether we're doing that morally or intellectually. Instead, we give them a vision of the good to imitate, knowing that their souls will respond to that. The Commonplace is a podcast for the new homeschooling mom delighted by the ideals and principles of a classical Charlotte Mason education, but who feels unsure of how to get started on the practical side of nourishing a soul on the good, the true, and the beautiful. I hope you find camaraderie here as we get our bearings in the world of old ideas and old books, of wisdom and virtue, and of the means of grace by which God works in this world through the Commonplaces, which includes your home. So, if you're like me, trying to offer your children an education unlike your own, and wondering if you can create an atmosphere, a discipline, and a life of such richness, I'm here to tell you, I think you can. I'm your host, Autumn Kern, and I'm pleased to welcome you to The Commonplace. Hello and welcome back to The Commonplace. My name is Autumn Kern and I am joined by a special guest, which is what I usually say when I'm interviewing, but I don't interview very often, so it's always true. And so this is a very special guest. I am joined today by Mrs. Heidi White. Heidi, if you will say hello to The Commonplace. Hello. Thank you so much. It's great to be here, Autumn. And hey to all the listeners. I am very excited about this. If you are a good listener of The Commonplace and The Common Mom videos, you have definitely heard me talk about Heidi's work. And so this is such a gift to me. I'm like my classical educator heart is just overflowing right now. Um, Because actually what we're gonna talk about today is something that I knew I could only talk to Heidi about. And that is this idea, one of the phrases that we often hear when we come through the classical wardrobe of nourishing our child's soul. Most moms love that idea. It's beautiful. It sounds like truth, goodness, and beauty. It sounds like cultivating virtue and wisdom. These are the phrases that can really grab a mom's heart. But when we try to define it or we try to understand what it means, we can really get tripped up, especially those of us coming out of modern education systems like myself or just living in the modern world that we live in. Souls are not something we often talk about. So Heidi is definitely the woman to speak to about this, and I'm really glad she's here. But before we jump into that, Heidi, if you would tell us a little bit about who you are, your work, and how you came through the classical wardrobe. Oh, I love that. I really love the phrase, the classical wardrobe. It's just the most perfect analogy for this life, isn't it? Uh, I I grew up uh, as a child, just very story formed, always loved stories, was a big reader as a child. uh, And I really wanted to pass that on to my children um, as when I became a mother. uh, And I wasn't exactly sure how I stumbled across classical education, actually, because I took one of those like online quizzes, like what kind of homeschooler are you? I'd never even heard of classical ed. Uh, And, um, but when I discovered it, it was like this, it was like, going through the wardrobe again in a new and a wonderful land to see there's this whole great tradition of books and ideas and human discovery uh, that that leads us towards the kingdom of God. And um, and so I just fell in love, like jumped in true to, true to form, maybe you're the same way as I am on this autumn, but when I love something, I just want to jump in the deep end on it, right? And so Absolutely. I just re- started re-educating myself, learning, reading these books that I wanted to pass on to my kids 
kids, some of them for the first time, some of them I was revisiting from a completely different angle as an adult than I had been as a student. Um, and and in re-educating myself, I developed more and more of a love for these ideas, these books, this entire tradition, uh, and just decided I would never leave. Like I, this is this is this is what I do now, right? I had I wanted to be somebody who would open up the wardrobe door to others. What an what a what a grace to be able to be a part of that work. And so I started teaching, homeschooling, um, and then kind of got got into it vocationally working with the Circe Institute, the Close Reads podcast, and it's kind of taken off from there over the years. Lovely. Um, I just finished, Circe had an online conference, for those of you who weren't aware, called uh, Contemplation of Virtue, I think was the formal title. And I finished recently your panel in which you share that you took a quiz to find out what kind of homeschooling mom you were. That is how I entered the classroom world. And if you go to season one, episode one, I open it with, hey, Google, tell me what kind of homeschooling mom I am. And then my story's in there. That That is exactly why I was overwhelmed by the many philosophies on my Google search. And I thought it would be funny and bring a little levity to the situation. And yes, those quizzes exist. And I learned I was a classical first and Charlotte Mason second. That's right. And that is exact. I just, I've never heard anyone else say that. And so to hear you say Hilarious. that, I'm really glad that came Sisters, out. Kindred right spirits. Now. Yes. I love that. Okay. So, um, now, speaking of Cersei, I took a webinar that Heidi was teaching. Was it in 2020 or 2021 that you taught on this topic? Do you remember? I do not remember. Uh, I, I wish like I did. I feel so unprofessional right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I think it might have been 2020. It just I was spending a lot of time at home and I really oh, jumped yeah. on the chance to learn how classical education can nourish and heal a soul was kind of the subtitle there. And I was immediately drawn into it. Um, and so... I took this webinar. I've mentioned it in many of my resources, and I think that you just encouraged and showed this beautiful picture, this whole picture, um, bringing back your clinical counseling background with your classical educator background and showing how we form a whole person. And what I think is really lovely is that we talk about the soul in classical education. We look to form the whole person, um, but soul talk is usually reserved for church for a lot of people. It's Mm. not something that often comes into the educational realm. So I think the way to start, honestly, is what is a soul? Could you break that down? for us a little bit. Right. I like that question a lot. What do we mean when we say the soul? You know, in the, in the, cl- in the classical understanding, uh, Plato talked about the soul uh, as having three parts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the mind, the head, so to speak, um, that's governed by the rational part of our inner being, right? And then the belly, of course, the appetitive parts of us, the desires that we have, usually fleshly desires of some kind, not only um, food, but others, right? And then all and then uh, the third part of the soul that he refers to is the chest, right? The spirited part, the 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 the, the part that wants honor, right? That wants mm-hmm. to um, engage in a noble way with the pursuit of being human. And then if you put those three uh, those those three parts of our inner being together, the belly, the chest, and the head, we have a complete soul, a whole person, the thinking part, the desiring part, and then the spirited part of us. And so mm-hmm. when we say soul, uh, that's I, I always have that in mind. I think that's a lovely way of putting it. Although we don't don't want too much to think about them in terms of the parts, more mm-hmm. to think about it in terms of like the whole inner being, um, our selfhood, so to speak. It also carries with us our emotions, our thoughts and our memories um, mm-hmm. and our loves. Um, so that that inner being what the what the Holy Scriptures call the inner man, right? 
Right. No, I love that. That was one of the first things that when I had a better definition of the soul in classical education, a whole world unlocked for me. Mm. I realized that we were really talking about this moral and intellectual virtue that could be embodied in meaningful action. Like it was the totality of a person rather than being something like the spirit, which, you know, requires the divine revelation of God and the life of the church and all these other things. And so that all of a sudden, I understood why we could talk about cultivating the soul of anyone through these things, of reading these great books, whether by pagans or Christians. And it just kind of fit. It was an unlocking key for me. Um, So when we think about classical ed and how we actually touch all these parts and listeners of The Commonplace, you have already listened to the breakdown, the abolition of man. We put this whole idea of Lewis's issue with removing the chest into conversation with the moral and mythic imagination. So they should be coming right along into this really well. But um, we talk about the imitation of good. This Mm. is something that we've been working through this season. Can you Can you explain to us how classical education nourishes a soul through the imitation of good? How does that practically play out and philosophically kind of work in our pedagogy? Yeah, I really love that question a lot. So the... I'm going to probably refer to Socrates quite a bit here because other than Christ, he was the greatest teacher in the history of the world, you know, the second best, which is pretty good. Uh, and, And for Socrates, he... He, he was always drawing the conversations that he would have with his interlocutors, his conversation partners, always drawing the conversation back to this idea of mimesis or imitation. Uh, he says that's how we learn. Uh, and, and because we cannot uh, we cannot enact something that we haven't encountered in some kind of meaningful way. Uh, and, um, and so our conventional education is all about the inst- instruction in the sense of you tell uh, you tell a child what they need to know. And then the child has to kind of go out and figure out whether or not that has any kind of meaningful connection to his quote unquote real life, whatever that means, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but to Socrates, that's not good enough. Um, and, to, and to Jesus, that wasn't good enough, right? That's why mm-hmm. Christ told stories. That's why Christ, uh, he, he, in, he always invited it, his listener, his followers, um, to live out the virtues that he was teaching, to love one another um, in a real and in a meaningful and in an embodied way. And Socrates was all about that too. So imitation is the foundation of an education. Uh, mm-hmm. That That is how we learn. We watch somebody do something and we learn how to do it. I have a new puppy right now and I... <laughs> And so now we have two dogs, which, you know, why not? Because I'm so bored in life. So uh, but so my husband got me this surprise puppy. She's adorable. She's a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. Her name is Penny, yeah. named after Penelope uh, in the Odyssey. And she's just the most darling piece of trouble that we have in our life right now. And but all she does is follow our older dog, Bree, all around. And she just does whatever Bree does. And that's what children do as well. And uh, and so we all know, all parents know the dangers of that, right? We all, especially in this modern world, as you alluded to, we all know how at risk our children are of imitating the bad, right? Yes. But we believe as Christians that we are the image of God. So mm. we have a we, our true self, the realest, realest, deepest part of us is the Imago Dei. Uh, mm-hmm. And the Imago Dei is continually trying to return to paradise, right? That's the theological foundational truth of Christianity. We long to be reunited uh, in paradise with our maker. Uh, and so we as, we as Christians believe then that we don't have to 
educate our children in fear, whether we're doing that morally or intellectually. Instead, we give them a vision of the good to imitate, knowing that their souls will respond to that. Uh, and we trust that. Um, we are the ones who create that. And then they forge links. Our children forge links to the good through it beholding it. You know, it, one of the one of the underlying principles of a classical education and Charlotte Mason education is we become what we behold. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we have to give our children images of the good, the true and the beautiful to behold. And that is what an education is. That's it. Yeah, that's so great. I love that you brought in Mason. I wasn't sure if you were familiar with her at all, but I do believe she is actually in the classical stream. Absolutely. Um, and yes, yeah, so I use that wardrobe language to steal from Lewis because I do think when you come through, all of a sudden the world is far more enchanting than you previously knew. You didn't realize that you have maybe the sacramental vision or you understood this larger reality around us and that you were now educating, discipling, forming all these different words towards that goodness, towards truth and beauty. And so I think it's something that grabs a mom's heart, pulls her in. And that's kind of why I'm here to kind of serve as to yank people through that wardrobe and then send them on to, to the resources in the classical world. So a lot of my listeners are in the early years of motherhood. Um, a lot of them are currently trying to educate themselves in preparation for the future of home education. And so they're surrounded by a lot of little ones. And so I wanted to ask you, because it's often asked in the sphere that I've created um, as a counselor, as a mom, as an educator, what do you have as encouragement or what would you say about nourishing the souls of the youngest before the formal years? So not necessarily thinking about sitting down at the table quite yet, but you've got babies and toddlers and cheeky four-year-olds, and it can be very tempting with lovely books to kind of moralize and be like, did you notice? Did you notice what happened there? Like what St. George did versus what this guy did sort of thing. So what can we do as we think about building out the atmosphere of our home, the habits of our home, and the ideas we bring in for our children in this, this hope of imitating the good, but with a really young crowd of children? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So I really love what you just said about moralizing. Uh, refrain, refrain from doing that. Uh, so and then, yes, it is so tempting. And, yeah. and it comes from our mama's hearts, right? Some of it comes probably from a little bit of anxiety. Um, oh, yeah. And also just a great excitement for the, the future coming years when you really can have those conversations with your kids. Now I have teenagers and I am having those conversations regularly with my children because that they're, uh, i We've prepared the ground, they have fertile soil in their hearts um, because they have this, um, how do I want to, yeah, almost like a vocabulary of vision that we've sure. cultivated over the years in our home and in our educational environment and in the schools that they attend or the programs they attend. We've homeschooled all the way through with some help from, from hybrid schools. And, um, but the reason to refrain uh, is because we do not want to communicate to our children that the only purpose of a story is a moral lesson. We want that. We want those stories. We want those books and ideas to take root uh, and form not just the moral part of a child, not but also the imaginative part of a child. We want them to be full, not just of duty, but also of delight. And, mm -hmm. and, and that's why in those early years, just let the story speak for themselves. Uh, and um, one thing I think of is the book. Are you familiar with the book Norms and Nobility by David oh, yes. Hicks? 
Yes. I'm so glad to hear that. That is a book that every classical educator must, yeah. must read. Uh, it is a bit of an investment. I think it's about $40 for the book. Um, and yeah. it also is dense. It took me an entire year to get through my, for my first read. Um, yes. And I'm not a dummy. So like it is, it's dense, um, but worth it. Like so worth it. And one of the, one of the ideas, the core ideas to his book, he brings this up in the very beginning, uh, is he, uh, he draws a distinction between two ways of knowing two modes of knowing um, the mythos and the logos. So the logos is the rational way of knowing, right? This is how we encounter um, uh, knowledge through uh, propositional logic, those kinds of things, right? On the mm-hmm. other side is mythos, and that's the story-formed part of us. This is how this this is the the imaginative way of learning, and children have they value both, right? And like they need both. And we do too as adults, but most of us, unless you are very, very lucky, most of us have been conditioned, especially Mm -hmm. to think of the Christian faith as logos and not as mythos. And it's not, it's both. The Bible is full of stories. The whole world is full of these wonderful stories that are given to us to form the mythic imagination, the imaginative part of us, just as much as truth is given to us to form the propositional kind of truth-seeking part of our minds. Uh, Mm -hmm. Christianity is at once rational and imaginative. Uh, Mm -hmm. And this is the gift that we can give to our children when we simply give them the imaginative works of our faith and and of human endeavor as well. So refrain, um, teach, of course, teach some moral lessons, but refrain, do not teach your children that the only reason to read a story is to get a moral lesson. Let them delight in it and let and trust the story to do the work and to cultivate and break up the soils and make it um, fertile in their souls. Yeah. Okay. So we're done. There we go. That was it. No, (laughs) that was so great. I think the temptation in the early years is the question of, can someone tell me a book? For this problem that I see. Right. And I always, I love Lewis. I'll follow Lewis to the end. And it's like, don't do that. That's not what a story is for. We don't use stories like this. Like a story right. does something to us. And when we fully enter into it, we know that it can touch all of those parts together, which I think is really lovely. And this is pulling on a principle that I really love the deeper I go in to the wardrobe, through the wardrobe, is that these are things that are just good for persons. Like you're saying, we need story. We need both the logos and the mythos. Like We need both of these things. And what I've found has been this delightful literary life with my children where I, I'm happy with what we're reading. It, it might be Frog and Toad, which can sometimes be the most convicting thing that I read in the course Absolutely. of a week. That is, can, those are wise books. Ooh, frog and toad. If I hear a child, like a child being like, well, I'll do it tomorrow. I'm like, oh, I can't yeah. just do it tomorrow. Um, yeah, absolutely. So something like frog and toad or Narnia, which is the base of the moral and mythic imagination in our home is Narnia. Um, it could be all the way to Pilgrim's Progress, which I just read out loud to see what would happen because I wanted to read it. And guess what? The kids followed along as they could. And we all really enjoyed the story. However, um, my point here being that the things that are good for our children are also good for us, even if we engage with them in different forms or maybe different um, particular books later. Um, now, something that I realized when I was coming into this world was that it wasn't just that I needed to figure out how I was going to educate my kids, like get the book list and figure out how I would assess and different things. But it was actually that I needed this. Hmm. I actually needed to be classically re-educated on this little venture towards educating my children. And I realized that while I may have been a nice person, 
I wasn't actually a virtuous person the deeper I went in. And I actually really longed for these virtues and I really wanted to be changed. And wouldn't you know, the path I was embarking on for my kids was going to be the thing I needed too. And I think that's God's kindness to us that I'm doing this alongside of them. But I also think that can be really difficult for a mom to feel like all of a sudden, my education wasn't what it should have been, or my life circumstances were really painful. And in that webinar, you speak of formation on like a spectrum. And if I remember correctly, you have well-formed and unformed or immature, and then malformed and deformed. Is that mm-hmm. the whole spectrum? Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. you have this picture. And I remember listening to you and thinking, oh, well, from education and life circumstances, I was kind of more in that malformed camp. And it was story that really gave me um, a picture of the good life, a flourishing life that I could aim towards. And so you, in that webinar, I'd love for you to explain more about this. You talk about uh, reformation and restoration in a mother's re-education for her own soul. Can you talk to us about what good news that is for a mom? It's such good news for a mom because we... Yeah, I mean, if education is about formation and reformation, then we we cannot help but encounter our own uh, need to be reformed the older that we get. And I I just remember how much shame I felt as a young mom when I realized like I am full of rage. I I, I am I am slothful. I am but right I, as I as the further along I got in my mothering journey, like, and even to this day, you know, there's that, that scripture that's so hotly debated uh, that says that the, that women shall be saved through the bearing of children, right? Like that is a very hotly debated passage. (laughs) I have absolutely no trouble at all understanding it. And that is because I am such a, uh, I need so much repentance and, um, and, and it is mothering is the thing that has shown me the fallenness of my soul yes. and my need, my desperate need and desire for, for mercy and for grace. Um, and to, well, that's my dog. I'm sorry to your listeners. Um, and um, that I have learned, and it was through the books, right? I would encounter these ideas and stories uh, that would show me a way. I know, for example, um, I remember reading The Merchant of Venice, classic Shakespearean text, right? Um, I was reading it and I always like to watch performances while I'm reading because, you know, the surest way to hate Shakespeare for all of your days is just to sit in an armchair and read it, right? So um, I never do that. Never make your kids do that. Uh, So I was watching performances and reading along with Merchant of Venice. and, um, And, you know, there's this marvelous speech from Portia. The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth less the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesses him who gives and him who takes, right? It is such a beautiful speech, a very famous speech. And the reason why it's famous is is not just because of its literary value, but because of its formative and reformative potential for the soul, right? And and I remember li- reading this speech and watching it performed and just weeping because I was going through uh, a difficult situation in a friendship with our, in our life in which I des- like my fallen part of me desired to withhold mercy from this person who had wounded me. And, and so this speech from Shakespeare, which is not elitist, it's not too far above me. It was what I needed at that moment. It wasn't a Bible verse or a sermon, right? It was Shakespeare, that right. moved me to have mercy on this important friend of mine. And, and it was, and, and I have millions of examples of that. Probably you do too in the lives of your children and the people that you love in yourself. When you see how God 
ignites within us the healing of our souls through encountering uh, goodness, truth, and beauty within the great tradition. And that when we have that humble posture of like, I'm not just reading from my mind, right? I'm not just doing this because I'm trying to be smart. Who, I mean, I spend my day loading the dishwasher. Who cares, right? But like, I'm doing it for, I'm, I'm doing this thing for my salvation. Like, mm. um, and, 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 and I don't mean that, like I'm trying to earn in my salvation no, in any no. way, but I'm working it out with fear and trembling. And as I'm encountering truth in all of these different ways, um, in all of these different places, um, it heals me. And, mm-hmm. and I believe that that is the whole point of an education. And how can we try to offer to our children virtue formation um, if we are not walking in repentance and humility and, 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 and being like an encountering with a humble posture, the same things they are learning ought to be forming us, whether we've encountered them before or not. And, and it has nothing to do with whether or not I read it already, check it off my list. I wrote a paper on this in college. None of that matters. What matters mm-hmm. is that we are humbly engaging in truth in all of its different forms and manifestations. Yeah, that's lovely. Do you have a recommendation for a mom starting out of maybe um, a, a book that you loved at the beginning or an actual path forward? Yeah. I mean, why not start with the children's books, right? Um, I think that for for most of us, I, I did all of my hard reading when my kids were little and I was ba- when I when I had babies and toddlers and little ones homeschooling. Most of my reading I did um like very early in the morning, but not a lot of that, honestly, because I was usually those, that was, I was having my coffee, my quiet time. Right. And I, I, I just wanted to kind of reserve that time. So sometimes I'd have 20 minutes or so, but most of it did when I was drying my hair, I was like, sit with my, with a book and my hair dryer. And that was, and that, you know, that takes, I've got long hair, I've always thick hair. So it takes 20 (laughs) minutes from 20 minutes for me to dry my hair. So I would sit there and read. And that was my 20 minutes a day of a hard book. Um, And then I did a lot of listening to books in the car. Um, Mm -hmm. And I did a lot of the great courses. I think they're wonderful resources. The great courses yeah. on Audible, I highly recommend. Almost all of them are very good. So if you are running to, you know, for the moms out there that are like, I'm ready to take on a challenge. I want to do Shakespeare. I want to do Homer. I want to Plato, whatever it is. Um, get a great course and have that be a, your guide. That's really helpful. Mm-hmm. And then listen or read the book in little chunks. But if, if you're if you're not quite ready for some of those things or that's not very appealing to you, that's completely fine. Um, start with a children's book. For me, the most formative book of my whole life, other than the Bible, is Anne of Green Gables. Like by a yeah. mile. That is the book that I still read those books. Um, that was my first book that I read, my first heart book. Um, mm-hmm. And the first time I encountered Anne, I just wanted to be like her. And I still sure. read those books. And I learn so much um, about what it means to be a virtuous woman just from reading Anne of Green Gables. And I'm not taking notes. I'm not underlining. Yeah. I'm not doing it right. I'm just letting it wash over me and soak mm-hmm. into me. And and mm-hmm. I'm and imitating those things the best I can. So read along with your kids. Um, yeah. Read some of the classics. Read, go back and read Narnia, right? And just... Think about not just what am I not, not don't just think um, either I'm checking these things off the list or I'm doing it for the sake of my kids. Think about it in terms of uh, or or I'm doing it because it's some kind of duty. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but like 
the delight is part of the riff is part of the formation. The delight is part of the healing. So read something mm-hmm. you love and let that be, let that be the experience without trying to turn it into a moral lesson, even for ourselves. Yep. Same, the same thing as someone recommended, a friend recommended to me, John seniors, a thousand good books list. Mm. Have you read through this? So yes. I've been sending yes. this out to people when they ask, Fabulous. okay, this, this book you're talking about too hard for me, not interested. Don't want to pick up Homer. Even if you think Penelope is an ideal type, I was just talking about her in a video. So I love that right. your dog's name is funny. Um, and so I've been sending them like, find where you are on this list, what you've read up to, and then just keep going. And if that is still in the like grade six, right. If they say that's when you should be reading certain ideas, um, that's okay because these are ideas for persons. Like legitimately, you love Anne of Green Gables and will continue to return to that. I love Narnia and will continue to return to Narnia. I love Peter Rabbit. Like I'll go back to Beatrix Potter with my kids and just love reading it with them. And there's no shame in that. I think sometimes the elitist reputation of classical education can kind of put a mom back on her heels a bit. Like, well, now I have to just read all these great old dead guys. Um, and you're going to work your way back there because you're going to keep chasing the footnotes. Eventually, you're going to want to get back there. But it doesn't mean that that's where you have to start. And particularly if you're not enjoying the book, just come back in time a little bit, come further in time, I guess, rather, and and find one that you've really um, kind of found a kindred spirit in. One thing that I've taken from um, some of your work is the idea of the mind as a reflecting mirror hall. So kind of like the Palace of Versailles, that the images you take in, so you're talking about Anne, how much you love this. Well, it continues to reflect in your mind all the times that your hands are busy doing dishes or you're rocking a baby in the middle of the night. You could be looking at social media, which is going to put images in your mind as well, or you could be reflecting a beautiful picture of motherhood or of imaginative uh, womanhood or just these different things. Women who I love the Little House series, um, the moms in there, they make people and life grow in the land around them. You know, like just pictures like that can actually do a lot for kind of uh, pulling your affections and allegiances in one direction towards that good life. And I I just wanted to bring in your idea of the reflecting mirrors because I think it's been so helpful for me. Um, So for the mom who is listening, who really loves this. She's new to it. She thinks this is beautiful. Yes, I must have this. That joy and delight can quickly turn into what feels like a heavy burden because now education is not just, I'm teaching you how to read and do your arithmetic, which can be taught there, there, or there. It doesn't really matter. Anyone can do it sort of idea. And now it's a soul thing. It's a whole person thing. There's a lot more weight behind this than I maybe previously knew. And so there can be a little bit of panic that you don't learn Latin before your kid turns nine. So you can't teach it to them well, or, you know, you're pregnant and nursing and you're just in that season of everything's kind of slipping all of the time. What do you have to say to that mom who now sees classical education as a beautiful thing, but a heavy burden that she absolutely never yes. And I think that that man, I think that you're so wise to bring this up, Autumn, because the what what so often happens, and this has happened to me too. I am right there with you in the in the camp on this one. I've gone to the conferences, summer conferences, the Cersei conference, for example, and I get so excited, right? I get this this vision. I'm listening to Andrew Kern speak and I'm just so moved. And, you know, I buy all the curriculum and I yeah. take all the notes and it's so life-giving. And then I come home and uh and then try like start it out start at the school year with all of my high hopes and we're getting there right now this is where all of the moms all the homeschooling moms are right now we're so excited and we have these lists and these yep. supplies and you know the laminators and all that and yes. um, i'm so proud of my laminator um, i want one <laughs> um, uh and then and then it and then life happens right and we realize that it's not, it is not going to live. There's a gap between the expectation and the reality. And, mm-hmm. and the, 
and not only is that frustrating, but it also can create shame, as you're saying, and guilt and this sense of like overwhelming sense of duty um, mm-hmm. of like, now I have to get back in and I have to do all of these things. Um, and we don't, we really do not. We, education is not just about the mind. It is about, it's about our hands. It's about our, our, our words. It's about everything. Right. And education is something that is happening all the time in life. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that we are educating our kids on is how to manage stress. Right. And that is right. And so when we have bit, when we have bitten off more than we can chew, Sorry, there's my dog again. Um, when we have bitten off more than we can chew, we we have to remember the scripture that says to seek peace and pursue it. Mm, like yeah. that 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 is the pilgrimage of our Christian life is not to teach our kids Latin. It is to seek peace and pursue it. Right. And so there's things that we're going to have to let go. There's things we're going to have to say. I wanted to do that, but I didn't, and that's okay. Um, yeah. And then there's things that we ought that we really need to cling to, right? Go outside every day. Um, Like, uh, because God gave us the natural world, right? Um, And go outside every day, do a little math, do a little reading, do a little writing, um, and read to your kids as much as you can, um, and have them do meaningful work with their hands in some way. And so for us, with when the little years, it was... uh, I wasn't bad at this, actually. It was as my kids got older, I felt more pressure. But when they were little, we just went outside all the time. We traveled all the time. We just we did so much uh, because I wanted my children's education to be full of delight. That was really important to me. Um, And that felt just as important to me as teaching them all of these other dutiful things. And Mm -hmm. And, and I think that was right. And I think we need to give ourselves the freedom to do that. Um, and not only the freedom, but to say that is that is a good way to educate. That's the right way to educate is to um, is to be able to say this is a thing that really matters. There's these are the things I'm unwilling to compromise on. And then these mm-hmm. other things, they 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 are optional. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, or you can do them for just five minutes a day, like Charlotte Mason says. Right. It's better yeah. to have a, sh- a shorter amount of time, a, a consistent habit, a shorter amount of time. Or alternatively, let's say you just want to do like science once a week and make it hands on. That's OK, mm-hmm. too. Right. These mm-hmm. are ed- we home educate because we believe that we have something to offer to our children that is that that can take place within our home and that works for our particular family. Uh, And so when you go to a conference and you get inspired by all these wonderful ideas and you have all these things you want to implement, uh, we you also need to filter that through what I am doing this for my family. For these mm-hmm. children, with this marriage, with this man, in this home, in this place, and some of that is going to be adapted or let go, even though it sounded yeah. really great at the conference, because that isn't going that that isn't serving my family's formation. Because that's mm-hmm. the goal: the formation of loves. Uh, Plato said the goal of an education yes. is to love what is worth loving, right? Not to know what's worth knowing, not to do it, what's worth doing. Those are tangential. Those will come from the loves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's important that we love it. And I can always tell 
right? I can tell when I'm losing my love for it, when I'm, when I have derailed, my love is gone and I'm depleted, right? Then I need to make a change in my homeschooling. So it's not just coming from that place of drudgery and duty, um, but, but coming, but saying, okay, we're actually just going to take three days off. Yeah, we're going to go camping. We're not going to do anything. We're not going to get on the internet. We're going to leave that off. But (laughs) you have like for three days, just do something different, something fun Um, and give ourselves we must we simply must give ourselves the freedom to do that because otherwise we're just imitating a conventional education. And that's not what we're that's the whole point is that that's not what we're doing. We're choosing to love something better. Yeah, that's great. I I love that you, it's not even like, oh, here's the standard set by conventional education. And we're just not, we're just going to fall a little below and that's okay. That's, you just completely blew that off. It's not that at all. We've actually got a different aim of education, a different form of education. And it looks really, really different. And who hasn't been the mom or seen the mom who loves the thing so much, she says that she ends up hurting everyone around her in pursuit mm-hmm. of the thing. Like you've lost all of that delight. You're no longer actually doing it from a place of love. Now it's either duty or it's drudgery or it's fear. And, you know, it's like the picture of the mom around Christmas time doing all the crafts in a way that nobody's actually enjoying being around mom right. doing the Christmas time. Um, I think that's just a really easy place to slip. And so remembering that element of delight and that you're loving things. You're learning to rightly love at the right time and in the right way is the goal. Um, That's wonderful. Thank you. So before I let you go, I must ask you, what are some of your favorite books? You've mentioned Anne of Green Gables, but oh, if you guys don't know, Heidi hosts the Close Read podcast. And we were talking about having a guide when you read books. I always recommend Close Reads or the Literary Life podcast. If you are reading a book, go check and see if they have coverage of that book in the archives. That's a great way to read and go listen to a discussion, then keep reading, follow along. um, If you are having to read alone and can't can't gather people. So anyways, you have so many books that you've read and talked about. But I'm curious, what would be your favorite books that nourish your soul? Oh, I love that question so much. How long do you have? I am a huge (laughs) fan of Wendell Berry. Uh, I I love Wendell Berry. I love his poetry. I love, he's a prolific writer. He writes poetry, novels, um, and, and nonfiction essays. I'm actually just finishing up his, um, I think it was 2000, a very recent book that was released um, called The Need to Be Whole, um, which is his his thoughts. He wrote a book called The Hidden Wound, which talks about the race mm-hmm. crisis um, mm-hmm. in the United States. Um, and But he wrote that in the 60s. And then uh, this book, The Need to Be Whole, is kind of a revisiting of those ideas and an expansion okay. of them for this particular cultural moment. It's very relevant and very beautiful book um, and very insightful, thought-provoking. Um, I love Wendell Berry. He's given me, you know, I, I moved out to the forest. My husband and I bought six acres in the forest because we read Wendell Berry. Um, so yeah. And, and he, he, he's given me such a vision for, um, the permanent things for the, for a life of the land. I tend, maybe, maybe you relate to this, although you've, you've, when you're in the thick of homeschooling little and middle age kids, um, this you're, you're much more hands-on, but I, I tend to be a bit stuck in my head. I do a Mm -hmm. lot of thinking, a lot of writing and a lot of talking. Um, and so through Wendell Berry's work, he always gives me this love for the work of my hands, right? The gardening and the cooking and, um, the, uh, the, the permanence, like the caring for my place. Um, and he holds that very, um, just very dear. And he's made me hold it dear too. So I highly recommend anything by Wendell Berry. Hannah Coulter is a fantastic novel. Um, definitely a good place to start with Wendell Berry. Um, 
And his poetry is wonderful too. The Country of Marriage is a fabulous yes. collection. So um, I would, I, I, I recommend him first. And he's also a bit of, um, I think, a, a, a wardrobe, like he's kind of a gateway drug to the intellectual life, right? He um, is a gateway drug. Yeah. Yes. Oh. You can't unsee the world after you've yeah. had a little Hindleberry. That's yeah. right. And yeah. he's, he's very accessible, um, but mm-hmm. incredibly thoughtful, much like C.S. Lewis, who's my next recommendation. You are always, you always talk about C.S. Lewis um, and Tolkien, um, but those are, you know, C.S. Lewis is hands down my favorite author in the history of ever. I love him. Um, <laughs> And right now, I have a favorite book. Sorry to you. I have to have have favorites. Oh, yes. Okay. We did that at our church book club this past spring, and it was was so good. It was so good. Oh, man. I love that book because Mm -hmm. I am a sinner in the way that Oriole is. Um, And so it's just, it was, it's a book of repentance and Mm -hmm. reformation reformation mm-hmm. for me. Um, mm-hmm. And the Ransom Trilogy, we're doing that over on the Close Reads podcast for our mm-hmm. subscribers right now. Um, and those are books that are wonderful, but it behooves a reader to have a guide through those books because Lewis is doing something very specific with his medieval imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you've ever tried, if any of these listeners have ever tried the Ransom Trilogy um, and been like, I don't get it, then I would recommend going over to the Close Reads podcast and becoming a subscriber and you can follow along with us because that is a um those books are wonderful once you see what what lewis is doing there um and i also my favorite novel is a novel called bride's head revisited by evelyn waugh it was written in the um the middle of the 20th century it's a catholic Mm -hmm. novel um and uh although it he is, he's a Catholic author writing to a secular audience. Um, and he gives us a story of these like very fallen people with very disordered loves who are, um, and nevertheless being led by God's grace to mm. God's goodness, even though they're, they, they're fighting, kicking and screaming all the whole way. And as you can see, this is like my spiritual journey. So I like books like that, <laughs> that are frankly honest that. about that. Um, I, yeah, those are yeah. great. Thank and everything, my last one is Everything yes, Sad is Untrue. Have you read this book by Daniel Nyeri? No, um, but I know where that line comes from. Yeah, yeah that's right. It's a Tolkien <laughs> reference. Nice, yeah. Autumn. So this is actually a mid- mid-grade children's book. Um, it's okay. a fictionalized memoir of the life of an Iranian refugee moving to the United States under dire circumstances. It's a true story. It's his real life, but um, okay. he uh, fictionalizes it in some ways and ties it into the story of the Arabian Nights um, in his own cool. homeland. And it's just an incredibly beautiful meditation on his own life and storytelling um, and and the grace of God. So that everything sad is untrue. We've also just talked about that on the Close Reads podcast as well, okay. but that's a an easy one and a great one to listen to or read with your kids. Okay, perfect. I will put um, all of those in the episode notes, which I know I'm very bad about doing sometimes, but I really will this time. Um, I yeah, okay. I just have to say about Wendell Berry because I also love Wendell Berry and I recommend oh, Hannah Colfer a great deal for mm-hmm. people kind of entering into his fiction. Um, Berry, the way he really impacted me was I now really appreciate Mason handicrafts. Like, mm-hmm. First, it was just for education we had to do it, but your idea of like working with your hands, this sort of material feel, being at working and seeing the end result right then. Like I started sewing this summer, doing some stuff like that. 
But it helps me only because I can also live in my head. And as most of my work moves onto the internet, I started wondering about this disembodiment or this idea that the really important things happen in this like invisible sphere sort of thing. And it just really sent me down this thread and Wendell Berry brought me back to just making things with my hands. I love that. Yeah. We need that. Um, we, we do. Need we that. Really we're, do. Yeah. we're whole humans. We're not just disembodied minds and 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 feelings, right? Like we have to yeah. we have to make something out of these ideas and do something with it and 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 value that work as honorable and noble. Yeah. Um yeah, handwork hand actually. Yeah. Yeah, that's what Barry calls it, handwork. Yeah, he's talking about the essay, The Unsettling of America, I think Mm -hmm. it is. But he's talking about our disdain for handwork. Mm -hmm. And when we have this like disdain for work, we end up like basically um, feeling disdain towards the people who do it. And so then he talks about people's work and jobs. And I kept reading it thinking of motherhood. In the modern world, you have like a feminist flag that sits just outside of the trench screaming like, don't give up yourself and die. Like, just come over here and do whatever. And then we have that the side where we don't really understand that the way we change a diaper is just as important that we change a diaper, all these things. And so I really got into Barry's idea of handwork and motherhood. And um, it was incredibly life-giving to me in the very, very early years. I had three kids in three years. And so it was a lot of diapers and tiny things for a while. Um, but yeah, just the beauty and noble part of handwork as well. Sorry to go off there. but I love that. Um, well, Heidi, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a true gift. Um, can you, on your way out here, tell everyone where they can find you? You've mentioned Close Reads, but you also teach and write other places. Where could people follow you? Yeah, thank you. Uh, so the best way to find me is over at the Close Reads podcast. You can go to, uh, you can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and um, we have a very active uh, community of readers on social media on Substack and um, on Facebook. And we contributors over on the show, all of us hosts are very active with our community. We also do conferences and literary retreats. Uh, And so if you are wanting to go deeper in your reading journey um, and read in community with a bunch of other really thoughtful and interesting and smart people, um, the Close Reads podcast is probably the best way to get in touch with me directly, certainly. Um, also, uh, I do quite a bit of work over at the Circe Institute. I contract with them. I do webinars on Shakespeare and education and um, uh, different great books. Um, yesterday, I just did a webinar um, over at Circe on Shakespeare and gender identity. And we talked about the gender bending over in, in Shakespeare's plays. It was a really fun conversation. Um, and I so I do that. I also teach an atrium class, which is um, for a class for adults through the Circe Institute. You can find that www.circeinstitute.com forward slash atrium. Um, I teach a year long adult class on Shakespeare. Um, and so we are, it's twice a month, Tuesday, the first and third Tuesdays of the month. And so if anybody hasn't finalized their plans for the fall and wants to talk about Shakespeare with me yeah. and some other awesome people, you can find me over there. Um, and then I'm pretty active on um, Instagram posting book ideas and, you know, information, different uh, different things that I'm doing. So you can find me on Instagram at Heidi White Reads. 
Lovely. And if those of you who have not seen a Circe webinar, you can get the replay sent to you a couple days later. So I actually did register for your Shakespeare one that was yesterday. But like a lot of moms with little kids, I cannot watch it at 4 p.m. in my in my life. So I am waiting for the replay. So that is an option for moms who are like, oh, I can never make any of this. Usually there is a replay. Absolutely. Yeah, so we I always record. We know that we're yes. dealing with it. We're all just busy people. We all have the same <laughs> yes. life. So right. man, having the option to go back and watch it later is just... And then you have it forever, which is really yeah. nice to reference as well. So Heidi, thank you so much again. Um, this has been a real delight and I'm really grateful for your time. Oh, thank you for having me. What a fun conversation. I wish we could go out and get some coffee and keep it going. So maybe someday. <laughs> right. yeah. That would be amazing. All right, everyone else, I'll see you in two weeks.